0: Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where we give you the African perspective. It's 11 o'clock Central African time, as usual, from Monday to Thursday. This is African Dialogue, where we look at the big subject matters on the African continent. Well, it's a new dawn, and things have changed completely from the last time you and me really looked at South Africa. And now the country has a new president, Cyril Ramaphosa. Today, we'll be discussing the man himself. Uh, Who is he, and what does he represent? for what he calls the new dawn of uh, South Africa. And we'll look at the man and his politics and also look at what he actually uh, wants to implement in South Africa in terms of what he was addressing at the State of the Nation address uh, just this past Friday. But before we get into that, let's get our news update. And Musa is standing by.
3: In the headlines, South Africa's ruling ANC's chief Whoop Jackson Mtembu affirms the party's renewed its efforts to address inequalities in the country. Private forensic investigator Paula Sullivan ac- accuses South Africa's police minister Fikile Mbalula of lacking knowledge of what's happening on the ground regarding the five people wanted in connection with alleged corruption related to state capture. And Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu attacks Iran, describing it as the greatest threat, not just to Israel, but to the world. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. South Africa's ruling ANC's Chief Whoop Jackson Mtimbu says the party has renewed its efforts to address inequalities in the country He was speaking in the National Assembly during the debate of both Houses of Parliament on President Cyril Ramaphosa's State of the Nation address. In his maiden address, Ramaphosa took a clear, firm stance on his plans to end corruption at state institutions and state-owned enterprises, as well as the private sector. Ramaphosa will reply to the debate on Tuesday. Mtembu says the ANC needs to honour the dreams of the late former President Nelson Mandela.
0: This year, as we
2: celebrate the centenary of the birth of Udada Nelson Mandela, our icon, we shall intensify our efforts to realize his vision of a united South Africa in which all live in peace with equal rights and opportunities. We shall renew our focus on Comrade Mandela's vision of a non-racial society in which the social and economic barriers that have separated black from white are broken down.
3: Private Forensic Investigator Paulo Sullivan has accused South Africa's Police Minister Fikile Mbalula of lacking knowledge of what's happening on the ground regarding the five people wanted in connection with alleged corruption related to state capture Mbalula on Sunday said the search for five people was widened to include India, China and Dubai. He said South Africa would be working with Interpol to extradite the five who include Dudu Zanezuma and the Gupta brothers who have close links with former President President Jacob Zuma O'Sullivan says the fugitives took all their assets after being tipped off.
2: They played a stalling game while they removed assets, further assets out of the country. They don't have an airplane left in the country, but they've moved all of their assets out of the country and they've started moving all of their staff out of the country. It's only a matter of time now before ANN 7 and the New Age shut down because the shadow owner of, of that entity will not get any more funding from the Guptas.
3: Thousands of Zimbabweans are expected to attend a public memorial service in honor of opposition leader Morgan Changarai. Figures across the political divide attended a memorial service at a church in the capital Harare on Sunday. The Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnangagwe has praised opposition icon Changarai, who died last week as an outstanding political figure who had endured political hardship and deserved his place in the country's history. Changarai is expected to be buried in his home village of Buhera on the eastern of the country on Tuesday. The BBC Shingai reports. Morgan Changirai will be honoured for the final day before his burial. This time, ordinary Zimbabweans will have their chance. The venue called Freedom Square by the opposition is symbolic. It's where Mr Changirai and his supporters would gather in defiance of police bans. So today's send-off is a departure from the norm. Police have given the opposition the clearance to meet and send its leader off as they wish, without the threat of tear gas, beatings and arrests. A sign, perhaps, that Zimbabwe has turned the corner. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has launched a scathing attack on Iran, describing it as the greatest threat not just to Israel but to the world. Addressing a security conference in Munich, Germany, Netanyahu accused the Iranians of seeking to dominate the Middle East through terror. Iran is not Nazi Germany. There are many differences between the two. One advocated a master race, the other advocates a master faith. Jews in Iran are not sent to the gas chambers, although religious and ethnic minorities are denied basic freedoms. But there are also some striking similarities. Iran openly declares its intention to annihilate Israel with its 6 million Jews. Iran seeks to dominate our region, the Middle East, and seeks to dominate the world through aggression and terror. And finally, young survivors of last Wednesday's school shooting in the U.S. state of Florida have announced a national march on Washington to demand political action on gun control. They're planning to march on Washington on the 24th of March to demand that children and their families become a priority to U.S. lawmakers. The attack, which left 17 students and staff members dead, was the deadliest U.S. school shooting since 2012. Last year, President Donald Trump said he would never infringe on the right to keep arms. In his first public comments on the gun control issue since the attack, Trump blamed the Democrats for not passing legislation when they controlled Congress during the early years of Barack Obama's administration. Recapping the top stories, South Africa's ruling ANC's chief, Warp Jackson Mtimbo, affirms the party has renewed its efforts to to address inequalities in the country. Private forensic investigator Paul O'Sullivan accuses South Africa's police minister Fikile Mbalula of lacking knowledge of what's happening on the ground regarding the five people wanted in connection with alleged corruption related to state capture. And Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu attacks Iran, describing it as the greatest threat not just to Israel but to the world.
0: Thank you very much, Anne, for that news update. Thank you for listening to us right here on uh, Channel Africa. Uh, Remember, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back after this.
2: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective,
1: Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using silozi Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective.
3: Hi, my name is Tanolun and you are listening to Channel Africa. We, we love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the
0: African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where we give you the African perspective. Remember, you're listening to us on DSTV on the audio bouquet, Channel 802. And uh, you can stream us live on uh, channelafrica.co.za. And another way that you can listen to us is on our website on www.channelafrica.co.za, where you can stream us live there. Well, today is a new dawn, so it seems for South Africa. So it seems to be, in terms of the atmosphere, And the optimism that seems to have actually taken over uh, with the announcement of President Cyril Ramaphosa coming into the job of president uh, uh, just last week, a lot has actually happened. He was actually... Sworn in as president and also addressed parliament with his State of the Nation address where he spoke about challenges such as state capture, the issue of the social grounds debacle, and also fixing the nation's coffers. Uh, he has come out hard against corruption, saying that he will not hesitate to act against those implicated in any breaking of the law. But also what's interesting is just to see the atmosphere within the space of South African politics in terms of the leadership that people think that Cyril Ramaphosa could actually uh, represent for South Africa. Actually, it was a different type of state of the nation address uh, last week. and was very poised, uh, very suave, panache very different to the kind of style that we've seen from uh, uh, the now removed uh, president or retired president, uh, uh, Jacob Zuma. Well, we're going to discuss this with our guest on the line. We've got Professor Bekim Gomezulu, who is a lecturer of political science at the University of the Western Cape. We've got also uh, Dr. William Bofu, who's joining us on the line, who's also a political expert. And Annabel Bishop is joining us as well as chief economist at Investec. I want to start with you, uh, Dr. William Bofu, terms of just the style of uh, cyril ramaphosa we know him as a, a unionist as a businessman as a politician but also we see him now and uh, posing himself as kind of a man trying to uh, reincarnate and uh, uh, channel the spirit of nelson mandela what are your thoughts of uh, last week of the whole turnaround that we saw in south africa
2: um, I think my contribution would be that um, eh, Africa and the Global South at large uh, has had a lot and seen a lot of these uh, speeches that cause euphoria of uh, men and women that stand up to pronounce some good news that cause a lot of excitement. But um, uh, I think there's a lot uh, that we should expect. Uh, uh, not just from individual leaders and their packaging of certain ideas of change, but also from communities. Because like um, what uh, Professor Ole recently said, uh, it's not only about leadership changing society, but also the kind of followership that we have in South Africa, in Africa That's and in the global South at large. We should expect a lot from societal heroism rather than individual heroes. Uh, we've had a lot from that and it has not taken us anywhere.
0: But in terms of Sir uh, Ramaphosa and himself, and uh, I understand the fact that you can't insulate him from uh, uh, the issue of uh, the fact that he isn't a, a, sol- a problem solver on his own as an individual, and definitely it will take uh, a more of a communal um, viewpoint in terms of how the country moves forward. But from your perspective, Dr. Mpofu, What do you think of the man himself, especially from the point that uh, we've known him as a unionist? Uh, He was also a a chairman at the time of uh, the the reception committee of Nelson Mandela. And also the fact that he's also been seen as a businessman in South Africa, one who's also been mired and linked to issues of Marikana and the fact that he's been associated to capitalism.
2: Yes, I it is important to know that um, uh, Comrade Ramaphosa speaks also as a politician, a politician with a background which might also be a baggage. So uh, it's important that um, he is not taken on his word, that society, uh, the South African uh, uh, community and um, the African community take him on his word and uh, take into account and ensure that um, these promises are not there, but that he is taken into account and that he humanizes himself and that he repents of whatever problematic that he comes from and makes true these promises because um, politics at large has become uh, a body of promises that seem to sell euphoria and then that euphoria mm-hmm. is not translated into change so he must be taken into account and forced by society to deliver to the promises uh, that his new mandate has given to him
0: coming to you professor bekim gomezulu what are your thoughts
1: no, I think that uh, uh, Tutankofu is absolutely right. Uh, we have political rhetoric on the one hand and then we have reality on the other. And by and large, the two are not usually in sync with each other. It's either uh, to make promises, but it's something else to implement those promises or at least to put those promises into practice. And there are a number of reasons for that. In the first instance, as Tutankofu was saying, we are looking at Cyril Ramaphosa as an individual, but the reality of the matter is he's part of the collective. In any case, if you were to say that, for example, is going to change things outright, the question is, was he not part of the old administration of President Jacob Zuma by virtue of the fact that he was uh, uh, the deputy president of the country? And, and also, the other point which you mentioned at the beginning, that of Sona, uh, of course, there's been uh, a, such a euphoria as uh, the temple is saying uh, on, on that one, and people giving him accolades, which in fact he deserves them, but I would, I would say we mustn't read too much into that. In fact, as a matter of fact, uh, when I was talking to some of the media houses yesterday and early this morning, uh, I asked the question, how much of it, of Sona, was in fact a ce apostle's uh, making, and how much of it was Jacob Zuma's uh, making? so sure. uh, I asked that question because uh, my understanding is that sona is not an individual um, uh, agenda or is not an indiv- uh, i mean an individual task. basically what happens is all government departments make their contribution. And in fact, as a matter of fact, SONA is not prepared the day before it is delivered. It's a long-term process. So it means then the SONA that was postponed, uh, the gist of a SONA uh, that this is delivered was already there when it took over. So basically, there are all those kinds of issues which were have to factor in. And then, of course, the fact that um, we must also understand that Cyril Ramaphosa is working under immense pressure, and this pressure comes from different sources. One, uh, there are those uh, who ushered him into office in, in December at Nazareth. They are expecting a lot from him by virtue of the fact that uh, they voted him in, and others, of course, would want kickbacks in one form or the other. And then secondly, the general public, the electorate, is expecting a lot from him given that uh, we normally say a new broom sits clean, and we expect him to sit clean in this case. And the African continent has eyes on him, that he must be uh, at least someone who's bringing not only hope, but seen to be implementing something different from uh, what has been happening lately, even since mm. 1994. And mm. then lastly, we have the international community, uh, which is um, expecting a lot from him, and on the basis of what he does or he doesn't do, they are then going to uh, grade or rate South Africa, either positively or negatively. All of those things are...
0: Well, let me bring Annabelle Bishop into this conversation from a more economics perspective, is uh, the fact that uh, we've seen uh, the, the strand, uh, act, the, the the rand actually strengthening in, in the last a few weeks or so with the debate of whether we'll see the removal of a former President Jacob Zuma and uh, we've seen uh, Sila Maposa actually putting confidence in the economy in terms of uh, it seems like uh, uh, the stakeholders within industry actually are very confident about the step that South Africa is happening. The first example is actually seeing uh, uh, the mining charter actually uh, results whereby uh, we've seen Uh, that uh, court challenge being uh, removed. Uh, uh, Very interesting times indeed for the economy and it seems like uh, industry players within the economy are confident about this move that South Africa
4: has taken. Yes, that's quite correct. Thank you. Um, And I think, you know, essentially what we're seeing now is that the currency strengthened by about two rand after the election of Sul Ramaphosa to the ANC president, and that was essentially risk premium that was inside the South African currency being removed. And, of course, risk premium is what you need, you know, for investors to receive to invest in a risky perspective. So from that point of view, you know, there was a perceived real decline in risk. You know, that two, two rand had been built in over the Nenegate period, and I think now what we've seen over the month of July and February has been a just a slowly ticking stronger of the RAN. I think that talks to the business confidence sentiment that you're talking about. I think essentially for SONA, you know, in past years, the SONA has listed many areas where South Africa has seen institutional weakness. And this time around, you know, certainly there was a lot of focus on this institutional weakness and what needs to be done to change it. But certainly the tone was one of a really can-do approach. However, South Africa's, you know, really been beset by a lot of plans, frameworks and strategies over the year to assist the economy, economic growth, and of course, you know, in order to strengthen economic growth, we need to strengthen business sector confidence. So I think to keep this current positive momentum in business sentiment, you know, which obviously can be transferred to faster growth and investment, of course, then faster employment, President Ramaphosa now needs to, you know, change tack post the sonar Compared to previously, is and actually focus on implementation, achieve implementation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's where we're sure. sitting at the moment. You know, failure to deliver on these pro private sector business and investment sure. stated intentions, and would obviously then see this momentum flag.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to continue with our guests on the line. It seems there's a consensus between the three of them that the big question is around implementation uh, when it comes uh, to the confidence that uh, uh, people have in terms of Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, presidency. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back after this and continue uh, the discussion in terms of uh, the way forward, the future of uh, uh, this man's life, Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, we'll look at the expectations of As well, Uh, I think we've also covered uh, themes around that, but we'll deal with those issues after this break.
3: Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
1: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
3: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa.
0: For Channel Africa, I am Kumbra in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Noel Bamweze. Reporting
3: for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
0: Well, thank you for joining us uh, right here on Channel Africa. Uh, thank you for joining us on our various platforms, on DSTV, on our shortwave service, even online. Uh, remember, you can also get us uh, on uh, Google Play where you can uh, download the Channel Africa app and you can uh, listen to us via that particular technological facility on your mobile phone. Well, we're continuing uh, to look at uh, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, ambitions uh, for uh, the new government. It's very interesting to hear hear what uh, Professor uh, Begin ngomezulu was highlighting in fact of, of saying that uh, uh, this particular State of the Nation address uh, is not something that would necessarily be of uh, Sarah Ramaphosa's individual doing. Definitely it is uh, a State of the Nation address that definitely shows the political agenda uh, that actually is handed over uh, from the term of uh, Jacob Zuma. Uh, but coming back to you, Dr. William Bofu, most of the time when we were speaking of the presidency of Jacob Zuma. People spoke about a leadership deficit during the particular turner. What does Cyril Ramaphosa have to do to turn things around in terms of that reputation of the African National Congress?
2: Yes, uh, it is important, the things that we uh, highlighted just now and the other fellow uh, panelists that we have here, because um, an individual leader, as much as he... Can important. Uh, what we need to look at as uh, South Africans and uh, Africans and people of the Global South is that um, constraints and challenges like corruption, like state capture, and uh, leadership deficiencies are as micro as also they are macro, because you got structural and systemic state capture, where the state itself as an institution was captured long ago by the health system, by forces of imperialism and forces of coloniality. You also have structural and systemic corruption, where the state itself uh, is uh, meant to be capitalist, to be inhuman, to be insensitive to the needs uh, and the requirements of the common uh, people who are the masses, who are the majority of the people in Africa and in the global south at large, which makes the power and agents of an individual leader or even an individual government, very much limited. That is why uh, it is important what the panelists are saying, that um, please, can you critically look beyond the individual leader and even beyond the individual political party mm. to look at how systemically the people of the South Africa, the people of the global South, can decolonize and free the state itself from systemic constraints and from structural constraints that are militating against the interests of the ordinary people in the world. So it is important for us to look at the macro picture, the bigger picture, than just exciting slogans uh, from individual politicians and some exciting policies from individual political parties.
0: Is that not dependent on that one figure? Because I hear contradictions with what you're saying, Dr. William Pofu, as much as we're saying that... um, in, from your perspective, it would be a communal effort and not just a one political party or one um, a, a person perspective. But from where I'm sitting is the fact that to actually achieve that, you do need a form of leadership construct to enable that particular process. Definitely,
2: definitely. What we just need to do is not to invest uh, too much faith Uh, in that leadership unit, because uh, there's much more homework beyond uh, what individuals can deliver, what their actions is versus the structure uh, in the world. So it's important to look at those enabling, those promising, and those um, leaders that create a climate of possibility. That is important. We cannot dismiss that. But let's go further uh, to look at uh, structural and systemic constraints that need to be surmounted.
0: Coming, coming to you Annabelle, I'm, I'm interested in that because from a policy perspective there are a lot of questions that have been asked especially by industry especially when it comes to uh, the land reform issue and also uh, the, the issue of ownership when it comes to our mining industries. Um, in terms of that we've seen very much of uncertainties even when it comes to uh, the strengthening and the weakening of our land related to those two particular issues. Uh, it's a very much dicey issue in South Africa in terms of that. Mm -hmm. the way forward, how do you deal with it? Because it seems like uh, Cyril Ramaphosa has to now go back to the table and start processes again in terms of discussions.
4: I think it's a multi complex issue, you know, looking at the state, the poor state of government finances that we've inherited and, of course, the depressed nature of business confidence. That's really been a key feature since about 2009 to end of last year. You know, obviously, we need a change. It's it's vital. And certainly, you know, the sonar indicated a lot of the um, elements that are necessary to repair the weakness in state institutions that, you know, have been discussed, of course, also to look at repairing institutional strengths in South Africa as well. So I think what's really key in South Africa is a very strong focus that came through two areas. One, obviously reducing inequality and poverty, and obviously increasing employment sharply. The other one, creating the environment to do so and that's a strong capable state with strong focus on supporting private sector business expansion and you know I think that's what's been lacking in the past almost decade you know government hasn't upheld its part of the growth compact it hasn't provided the necessary in terms of institutional strength that we talked about just now and instead looking forwards now it's vital that the private sector can triple in size and you know that's really key because only through tripling in the size of the private business sectors through business supportive strategies and transformation as a second element through growth and substantial employment is the only way to eradicate this poverty and inequality and then of course to bring unemployment down to single digits in the long term. You know, that is key. And of course, he talks to that, uh, President Ramaphosa and the Sonar, about the job summit, the investment summit, and of course boosting business confidence and creating a virtuous society in South Africa. You know, the only way that we can on a long-term basis have sustained economic growth running of about 5 to 7%. and get this unemployment rate down to single digits is through the private sector. You know, government can't do it alone. We've seen that run out of space comprehensively with the credit Mm -hmm. rating downgrades now looming over our head. And, you know, the fact that borrowings have tripled in size over the the past decade. And, of course, the worry is that expenditures just run completely out of pace with revenues. So all of these factors need to be turned around for a sustainable and successful economy, one that can persist and deliver good growth and employment every year, now for the future, 10 years, 20 years, and onwards. And that obviously needs to be done by bringing the private sector back into the focus and of course private sector job creation. You know, that would reduce this huge financial burden of expenditure mm-hmm. on the state. Uh, so I suppose it talks already about the bloated size of <coughs> cabinets and civil service. Obviously, civil service remuneration is a very large component of the government finances as well. So all of these areas are going to be really looked at, and I think hopefully refined and streamlined, and really brought on board. You know, to, to position ourselves for a more successful South Africa.
0: Hmm. Uh, Professor Mgcamba, your thoughts, especially from that policy perspective.
4: Uh, oh, okay.
1: Yeah. On the issue of policy, I, I think maybe before we, I tackle that one, there is a point that I was made by uh, Tucampo, which is mm. very critical: uh, the issue of uh, talking about uh, uh, these um, uh, structural issues and also systematic issues. So, sure. in fact, when he made that statement, I, I was reminded of uh, uh, this gentleman called Frederick Cooper, uh, who wrote Africa since 1940, and also of Julius Nyerere. They made a compelling statement, one of them by Cooper was that uh, when the new political dispensation came into effect in the African continent in the 1960s and 1970s, African leaders took over from their erstwhile colonial masters. However, those systematic and structural issues were inherited. And as a result, African leaders could not operate in the manner they wanted, simply because there were those structurally systematic issues. And to let read a, 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 a corroborated that view, saying that before you can talk about moving forward, first bring all those people who are lagging behind uh, to be on par, and then you can move together. So these are related incidents in the sense that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa then finds himself in the same situation, that, uh, of course, he's uh, taking over from the old administration, which, unfortunately, he was part of. So for him, it's very difficult even to criticize the old administration because he was part of it. But then at the same time, uh, the question is, those systematic and structural issues that were there before, have they changed now? Mm -hmm. If not, then, of course, it means there's a problem. Mm -hmm. On policy issues, uh, the reason why the ANC has a policy conference before the elective conference is very simple. You first have to adopt the policies and then find people who are going to implement those policies. Whether it's Trinidad Makosa in place, whether it's Jacob Zuma, whether it's Titi Mabuza, whether it's Esma the reality of the matter is none of them is going to dream of any policy. All they'll be doing is implement policies that have been adopted by the African National Congress, unless of course uh, hypothetically speaking the opposition parties uh, the opposition party the DA wins the election next year, then it means all the, those policies then will fall by the wayside because the DA would come with their own policies. I don't see it happening but hypothetically speaking, so the reality of the matter then is the policies that Civil Ramaphosa is going to implement now in the 15 or 16 months or so is finishing off Jacob Zuma's term, and the ground rules have already been set. And I don't, I don't think he has enough room to manoeuvre because time is against him. Mm. And once, uh, for example, a policy has been adopted, you don't change it midstream unless, of course, there is a policy review, and then you will get a fresh mandate. Go and do it this way. So on, on on issues of policy, I, I don't think that Cyril Ramaphosa, at least for now, will have enough time to implement whatever he has in mind. Because in any case, he's a member of the same ANC. That's part of the policy is expected to
0: implement. You know why I asked that issue of, of, of policy, Professor Mgomenzulu, is the fact that, uh, especially when you look at this issue of the mining charter, the fact that uh, the court case has been actually uh, set aside by the Chamber of Mines, is the fact that uh, um, the contradictions in that uh, show us that, uh, if the presidents in the Chamber of minds are agreeing to go back to the drawing board, it's still the same political party. Uh, how would they actually restructure the deal? Because as much as you have a different president, it's still the same uh, uh, government and the same ruling party uh, on, uh, ruling. So those contradictions for me stick out, Professor.
1: You no, know, you're absolutely right. You see, the only, this is what I refer to as grandstanding. The only reason why uh, this issue is being withdrawn from court is simply because there are people who had personal and political issues with then President Zuma. Now, since the is coming into the picture, uh, it's a fact that the business community see him as one of their own, and therefore they would want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Even those people who had issues with President Zuma are now likely to um, uh, cool it off a little bit, like you saw, for example, with the EFF in Parliament. For the first time, the state of deletion address went without any glitches, and uh, Cyril Ramaphosa was aware of that which is why he personally, uh, I mean, uh, uh, created, uh, 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 the leader of the EFF, Julius Malema, specifically, and even uh, started creating jokes about him, basically <laughs> 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 trying to uh, cool him off as it were. So you yes, have people who are going to give Syriza Mapo the benefit of the doubt. So we tell you then that uh, those who are criticizing the mining charter were not doing so simply because there issues with it per se, but they also had issues with the people who crafted it, or at least who were pushing it. Now we have the new person in the same case. Okay, uh, we are taking this um, uh, off our uh, outside, of course. Let us see if we can find each other and then move forward together. So they are going to do that, find uh, that. But the, the question still remains: Is Cyril Ramaphosa acting on his own, or is he getting a mandate from the ANC? So if the ANC's mindset has not changed. What difference is it going to make mm. uh, if you take it or you, uh, you strike it off the, uh, the 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 code list now and then refer it back for further discussion? And then the agency says no, no, no. But the decision you took was the right one. Take it back in its original form. So then, what well, what will that mean to say consumer? So that is why I say it's very important to go back to the point that it's unformulated. Uh, we have made uh, i mean we've had so many good promises when new leaders come into power and then a few months down the line they realize that in fact what they were saying is political rhetoric The they really turn the ground is something else mm. and then they do either the same thing that happened before or something worse off so basically i wouldn't say we're out of the woods yet mm. if we're in the woods uh, under president Jacob Zuma, because the problems that he faced uh, some of them cannot be easily washed away uh, within a minute
0: well, we're speaking to Professor Becky Mgomezulu, joining us on the line there, a lecturer of political sciences at the University of the Western Cape. Another political scientist joining him on the line is Dr. William Bofu. And also we've got chief economist at Investec, Annabelle Bishop. I want to pick your brains after this break as we are about to end up in the discussion on the issue of uh, South Africa chairing BRICS and SADC this year. Uh, how will that transition happen from uh, Zuma to Ramaphosa? And uh, what does that also represent for the leadership of, of South Africa as a whole? And uh, also, uh, do we think that Sir uh, Ramaphosa will represent something new uh, as a leader from a, a global perspective? Because uh, Jacob Zuma's uh, links to the Gupta families and the issue of state capture almost were actually uh, miring his uh, morality and uh, his reputation. We'll deal with those issues. After after the break, we'll continue with our guests after this. Good news for our listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605 1711 So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605 47 Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us. It's 37 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African Time. Thank you for being with us right here on Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue. We're from Monday to Thursday. We, be, we bring you experts to really dissect some of the big conversations on the African continent today. We have the pleasure of speaking to Annable Bishop, Chief Economist at Investec, Dr. William Bofu, who is a political science uh, scientist and also alongside another uh, political analyst, Professor uh, Becky. Mugome Zulu. I want to look at it from a regional perspective. Maybe let me start with you, Annabelle. Maybe you can give us a global viewpoint. When... uh Sir Ramaphosa went to uh, uh, the World Economic Forum at Davos. There seemed to have been a very optimism around investment in South Africa. Uh, From a global perspective, it seemed like he did very well at that particular gathering. It seems that he does have that attractiveness. attractiveness. Uh, Even if you see him from that silo perspective as a leader, he brought confidence. I don't know if it's because of his business acumen or because people see him as a person who's business savvy.
4: Yes, you know, I really think all those points you make certainly cannot be um, underestimated at all. It's actually absolutely crucial for South Africa because, you know, we want to go onto the global stage, both attracting foreign direct investment into South Africa, but also being a player on the global stage with a substantially elevated level of exports, and obviously what that means, just to take a little brief sidetrack, is that when your export levels are substantially high and you've got a strong manufacturing sector, and of course President Ramaphosa talked to this in, in the sonar, the reindustrialization that's necessary for South Africa. Then you tend to see a situation where decent jobs are increasingly created, income levels rise, and of course that fulfills a self-fulfilling positive virtuous cycle in the economy with faster economic growth and sustained growth. So that is a type of free market reforms that is the expectation that Sir so Ramaphosa will deliver. And I think, you know, returning to the comments made in Davos and afterwards, when he's perceived extremely well on the global international stage, as perhaps other people have been in the past. If you look at um, probably Gordon going you know, off to these uh, international meetings and, you know, Nisanta and many a number of other individuals, that really bolsters South Africa's image and helps with foreign investment, not just portfolio inflows into our equities and debt markets, which are important and obviously provide necessary funding, but also of well, of course, it's direct investment. And here we're talking about the very important concept of bricks and mortar investment. You know, foreign investors building factories, companies in here, and the local labor, upskilling people and really transferring global knowledge and skills into the South African economy. That, if you look at the World Economic Forum, the Global Competitiveness Report, you know, all of those international do- documents, the IMS, they look at this as being a particular transfer mechanism to assist countries when they're looking to move up the path. You know, from low-income economies to middle-income economies to upper-income economies. Mm-hmm. South Africa's a middle-income economy and the problem is that, you know, the upper-income economies, advanced economies, they've got the government finance of tax revenues, enough people in the workforce, essentially, to put, to both keep, um, you know, fairly healthy government finances in the main, but more importantly, to provide the money, the social welfare that's needed to uplift the majority of people. And in South mm. Africa, we have that necessary requirement, but the problem is that we don't have enough people in the workforce. We're not mm. having enough people who are formally employed in the private sector, who are earning significant enough salaries to make viable, you know... And substantial contributions to our tax revenue base, mm. and that positive, you know, growth loop is really what we're after for South Africa to draw the majority of people into the formal economy, into good-paid, decent jobs, but you know, professional levels as well. And I think that's certainly where transformation is so key for South Africa, where it extends through the employment mechanism rather. Mm and absorb as many people as possible, which then in turn will result in a strong economic growth right. rate and lift up our government finances and repair many of these institutional weaknesses that we've now recently inherited. Um, so, you know, that talks to improving the credit ratings, mm-hmm. back to investment grade from all the key agencies. It certainly talks as well to substantial improvement on a sustained long-term path for economic growth of 5 to 7% plus. And if you achieve that for many years, for a couple of decades, you're going to get unemployment rates down at low single digits which would be Mm. wonderful for South Africa because that automatically removes the majority of the problems faced with insufficient incomes, you know, poverty, inequality. It, it's a natural self-correcting mechanism, but we need to obviously strive through these structural changes by really looking at, you know, jobs which are um, decent wages, quality employment, and that mainly comes through your, your, your manufacturing sector, your industrial sector, professional jobs as, as well, but certainly, you know, lifting up the income levels for the majority of the people on a long-term sustainable basis so that we can become a successful economy and migrate up the path you know, through those income bands.
0: Well, let me bring that to uh, Dr. William Bofu in terms of also just what you think. Uh, uh, I don't see things uh, taking a different trajectory, but the importance of uh, Sir Ramaphosa's leadership in terms of intra-trade uh, uh, relations on the African continent, when you speak of SADC, especially when you speak of uh, BRICS as well. Uh, I don't think things will change much, but what do you project? Um,
2: I think uh, you, you, uh, my fellow panelists realize this as much as uh, many people amongst our publics and our mm-hmm. masses in Africa. Corporate student Ramaphosa ticks boxes. He's got approval of the um, The danger that he runs is to be a, a business president because uh, it's not necessary that that leader who pleases big business also pleases the masses. Um, the land might gain... The statistics might look good for South Africa, but how does that change the diet of the people in Tendisa and in Alexandra? Because what is so, happening in Africa and uh, the global south at large is the return of economicism and what I can call businessism, where we think that what is good for big business is good for the ordinary people. That is why the language that we should be using is that of decolonization. How do we term the state? How do we term business? How do we term economics? Uh, to ensure that uh, in whatever they do, in whatever direction they grow, they deliver to the needs Mm -hmm. and the demands of the masses of the people of Africa and the global south. Because uh, uh, you will hear of statistics of economic growth, statistics of development, but the lives of the miserable, the lives of the poor, those who do not have something to eat, those who cannot have anything to put on their bodies, do not change because Mm -hmm. of these statistics. So we need to turn these businesses in, This economicism and this politicism that does not deliver life into the households of the ordinary people that are still expecting something from the dream of liberation in Africa, Latin America, and the entire global South.
0: Well, uh, we have to wrap it up there. Uh, let, let me get uh, Professor Gomezulu's final sentiments just in a minute. I don't want to leave you out on that particular issue, especially uh, the one dealing with uh, uh, the inter-global politics and also maybe inter-regional issues.
1: No, I think that uh, President Zuma has done well in that regard, which is partly the reason why he asked the ANC to give him space to introduce Sir Ramaphosa to his uh, colleagues in Briggs and also to his colleagues in the A.U. And the, the issue of the Gupta is that I think that we are reading too much into this because as Mahashule indicated, that uh, uh, the president has never found guilty of any ill doing. It's just the investigation that is underway which will either prove, him, uh, prove it that he uh, is guilty or not. So that one I don't think we can read too much into it. But the point here is, uh, Under the administration of President Jacob Zuma, South Africa has made inroads not only on the African continent but also in the Prince as well. The the, the members of the Prince group don't seem to have had any problems dealing with them President Zuma. And, and mm-hmm. I don't think they'll have any problem dealing with the social sure. because they're basically sending the same message. So I don't think there will be a problem in that regard. Well,
0: that's how I have to wrap it up. Thank you, uh, uh, Gents and uh, uh, Lady Hannibal, Thank you for giving us your time. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation just dissecting the possibilities and the issues uh, that have to deal with uh, this uh, particular current uh President Sir Ramaphosa and the challenge of implementation that he really faces, because coming in a term of so much pressure on all sides. So thank you to Professor Bekim Gomezulu. thank you to Dr. William Bofu and Annabel uh, Bishop. That takes us to 11:46 Central African Time. Let's quickly move on to our business news with Wisani Matebula. Good morning, thanks Benjamin. The businesses in Mogadishu's main Bakara market have closed in a protest over new taxes imposed by the